Okay, so this morning we are going to um, walk through the Passover feast. Basically, we are going to cram 3,500 years of beautiful, beautiful tradition from Moses through Adam Sandler of Jewish tradition into a 35-minute talk about the Passover feast. But hour and a half? What is it? Hour and a half? Okay. Um, but what I want to do is, is, is let you know where we're at in the book of Leviticus. Now, we're talking through the book of Leviticus. We started in September, and we are going to make one final push now into spring through the rest of the book, and we are getting into a section called the feasts. We've talked about the priests and the sacrificial system and the rules and the boundaries, but now we are into the feasts. And, and i, I got to tell you, I am, so, and I mean this, I am so excited to talk through these Jewish celebrations with you because I personally, as I've studied these things, have found so much for my life in how God set up the feast system 3,500 years ago for the Israelites. Now, we said that, that um, God had come to their forefathers while, while they were um, kind of wandering around and promised them that he would make their descendants a great nation, that the man named Israel's descendants would be the chosen people of God, thus the Israelites. But they found themselves in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. 400 years. That's like twice as old as America. They have been in slavery. Their identity is that of slavery, as people who are oppressed with no possessions, with no rights, that's where the Israelites were. <clears throat> and then God stepped in with Moses, and he freed them. And he walked them out of Egypt and gave them the book of Leviticus, or the messages of the book of Leviticus, which was basically the culture of God. And he walked them through their boundaries and their sacrificial system. And then he sets up the Jewish year. And he says, you will build every year as my people around these seven feasts, the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Passover was the remembrance of the sacrifice. Then there was the right following the Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where you would do nothing for a period of time, just nothingness. And then there was the first fruits, a celebration of the harvest. And then there was the Pentecost, a reminder of God's people. And then there was the Feast of Trumpets, a celebration of the last harvest of the year. And then there was the Day of Atonement, the sending out of the goats, representing sending out of sin. And then the final, um, the final festival was the Feast of Tabernacles, a celebration of dwelling together as the people of God together with God. And every year they would repeat these seven festivals. They built their life around that. And we are going to learn a lot about that. So we're going to start with the Passover feast. But I want to remind you of one thing. I want to look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, I lay a stone in Zion or Jerusalem. This is God talking. He says, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Talking about Jesus. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. 
But to, do, the, to those who do not believe, it's the stone the builders rejected, and it's become the capstone or the cornerstone. What Peter is doing here is he's telling us that Jesus is the cornerstone of Jewish life, of all that is written about God, and of the universe. In other words, Jesus is at the center, and everything is built around him. So these seven feasts that we're going to read about really point to Jesus. The book of Leviticus really points to Jesus. The Old Testament and the New Testament, everything points to Jesus. So when we learn about these feasts, we're learning about Jesus. And we're learning about what it means to live in Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that he created everything. Everything was created by him and for him, and he holds all things together. So what we learn here today is really about Jesus. One final thought, and this is what excites me most about these feasts. One of the words that is used to describe the feasts in Leviticus has to do with meeting together with God. Another word has to do with the fact that they are at set, like appointed times, a specific appointed time. But then another word, mikra, which is used in the Hebrew to talk about these feasts, is the idea of a rehearsal. God essentially says, I have these seven rehearsals for you. Like you're rehearsing something. Even though you're remembering something that once was, you're also practicing for something that is yet to come. This is Gene and April Smith. Gene is one of the elders at Polaris, and, and they were, helped us start this church in 1999 from scratch. They were one of the first families on site, maybe even the first family on site to help start Polaris. Both have Bible college degrees, Bible scholars, and they're going to talk through the first of the seven feasts, the Passover. So the Jewish Passover festival... The Jewish Passover festival commemorates Israel's miraculous 14th century B.C. release from Egyptian slavery, as recorded in the book of Exodus. It's a week-long celebration that continues to be celebrated even to today. It begins on the night of the first full moon, right after the vernal equinox, the first day of spring. The celebration is a very family-oriented celebration. It includes feasting and recounting of the story behind that celebration. Like many family traditions, it's been handed down orally from generation to generation. This recounting takes the form of a ceremony that was called the Seder. And both young and old folks participated in it, which strengthens the tradition, assuring that the next generation remembers this key element in Jewish culture. The ceremony is led by a family member with the rituals and background explained along the way in much the same way that we will go through the ceremony today. And today's ceremony is a special ceremony. It's a messianic ceremony. So it's for folks that, uh, Jewish folks that would acknowledge that Jesus of Nazareth is in fact the uh, uh, long-awaited Jewish Messiah. So during this morning's presentation, I'll ask that you use your imagination. The Seder is traditionally celebrated by family, reclining around a table. Our demo is 
highly abbreviated. The ceremony typically takes an hour, maybe longer. Um, although we've tried to capture almost all of the key elements. The normal feel of the Seder, now remember this is a family event, so the normal feel of a Seder is going to have a certain amount of structure to it, but it'll be relaxed and informal. There will be, there will be young people giggling, babies crying, all the normal things that happen at any big family event. Now, Jesus celebrated the Passover Seder. In fact, he celebrated the Seder just prior to his crucifixion. That event's come to be called over the years the Last Supper. So as we go through the ceremony, watch for places where the symbolism in the Seder has carried forward into our Christian beliefs. Now, before you on the table are set certain elements. You notice that the table is low so that you can recline around it. They may have even served this uh, on a tablecloth on the floor. Um, and you'll find these elements on the table. Bitter herbs, in our case a horseradish, a roasted egg, a sweet apple mixture, crackers called matzah, salt water, a bone, parsley, and grape juice. Now that's a curious collection. Yet all are part of the sights and sounds and smells and tastes of the telling. As we kindle the festival lights, we pray for the illumination of the Spirit of God to bring great personal meaning to this, our Passover celebration. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has set us apart by his word and in whose name we light the festival lights. Today, as light for the festival of redemption is kindled by the hand of a woman, we remember that our Redeemer, Jesus, who is the light of the world, came into this world as the promised seed of a woman. At Passover, we are reminded that God has bought us back from being held hostage as slaves in Egypt. We celebrate this promise of redemption by drinking from our cup four times. With each cup, we remember God's desire for relationship. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. With it, we celebrate that God has made us his holy people, his special people, his selected people. Luke 22 says that when he began his final Passover Seder, Jesus the Messiah shared a cup with his disciples and said to them, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So let us lift our first cup together and bless the name of the Lord. Please read with us. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Passover is a springtime holiday when the earth is becoming green with life. This vegetable parsley represents life created and sustained by God Almighty. But for the children of Israel, life in Egypt was a life of pain, suffering, tears, represented by this salt water. Blessed are you, 
O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth, let us together dip parsley into the salt water to remind us that with the blessing of renewed life may also come hardship and sorrow. One important purpose served by the Seder is that it passed down the story of God to the next generation, especially in a time when all things were passed down orally. So as a result, children played a major role. It was an honor for a child to ask four special questions associated with the Passover. How different this night is from all other nights. On all other nights, we eat bread or matzah. On this night, why do we eat only matzah? On all other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables. On this night, why do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we don't dip our vegetables at all. On this night, why do we dip them twice? On all other nights, we eat our meal sitting or reclining. On this night, why do we eat only reclining? It's both a duty and a privilege for the adults of all ages to answer the four questions of Passover and to recite the mighty works of our faithful God. The first question was, on all other nights, we eat bread with leaven. But on Passover, we eat only matzah, the unleavened bread, a flat cracker. We answered that, this is how we answer that question. As the children of Israel fled from Egypt, they did not have time for the dough to rise. Instead, the hot desert sun baked it flat. You know, in the matzah, we really see a picture of Messiah. I hope you can all see this. You can see that it's pierced with holes. It bears stripes. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5 says, We considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him all, upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The matzah is called the bread of affliction, the poor bread which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are in need share in the hope of Passover. There are three matzahs wrapped together for Passover. The rabbis call these three a unity. You can see that the first is wrapped together here, the second underneath, and a third down in here somewhere. Here it is. Oops, and we broke that one. You would not break the Passover matzah. <laughs> the rabbis call these three a unity. Some consider it, some of the rabbis consider it to be a unity of the patriarchs, the early fathers of, of the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some consider it to be a unity of worship, the, the, the notion of, of talking about the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel. But we who know Jesus as Messiah 
can see in this unity, this unique, a, a unique tri-unity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three, and yet one. It was during this part of the Seder that Jesus left his followers with an important instruction. In 1 Corinthians 11, Rabbi Saul, the Apostle Paul, writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And with that thought in mind, let us share together the bread of affliction. The ushers will be passing, the, passing trays. Please take the bread, hold it for just a moment, and we'll, pro- we'll proceed with sharing in, in the matzah together. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And with that thought in mind, let us share together the bread of affliction. As you eat it, consider the broken body of Jesus, the Messiah. Allow the taste to linger in your mouth for just a moment. By tradition, the middle piece of matzah, the bread of affliction, is removed and broken. And so, and so it was, uh, and so it was that Messiah too was afflicted and broken. One half of the middle piece of the bread is now called the ephikamen, a dessert. Uh, it's wrapped in a white cloth, just as Jesus's body was wrapped for burial, and is hidden from sight, just as Jesus was hidden in the tomb. The second question that was asked by the children was, on all other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables, but on Passover, we eat only bitter herbs. We answer that question this way. As sweet as our lives are today, we still remember how bitter life was for the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. As we place some bitter herb, uh, in our case today a horseradish, Onto a piece of the matzah, let us allow the bitter taste to cause us to shed tears of compassion for the sorrow our ancestors knew thousands of years ago. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has set us apart by his word and commanded us to eat bitter herbs. dip our vegetables twice. We have already dipped the parsley into the salt water earlier in our session, and now we come to a mixture called caraset. It's a mixture of sweet apples, walnuts, honey, and some grape juice. While Israel was captive in Egypt, 
the children of Israel spent much time building the cities for their captors. And this mixture reminds them of the mortar they used to hold together the bricks of the city. Um, so at this time, we take a piece of matzah, place bitter herb on it, and dip it into the sweet kerosene mixture. Perhaps you recall that passage from Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is celebrating the last Passover with his closest friends. And it was during this part of the Seder, when we dip into the bowl, that Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Remember how his friends were saddened? Maybe a little hurt. And one by one, they said to him, surely not I. It is one of the twelve, Jesus replied, the one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And so we dip bitter herbs into the sweet kerosene mixture, and we remind ourselves that even in the most bitter circumstances, those circumstances can be sweetened by the hope that we have in God. On all other nights... We eat either sitting or reclining, but tonight we eat reclining. The first Passover was celebrated by a people who were enslaved, and now we celebrate it as free people. The children of Israel were instructed specifically to eat Passover in haste. They were to wear their coats, hold their staffs in their hands, have their sandals on their feet, ready and waiting for the departure from Egypt. Today, we recline a free people. This is the story of the Passover. The Lord promised the land of Israel to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yet here were their children in Egypt. The Pharaoh who had come to power feared them. These foreigners in our midst are prospering and have grown numerous, he thought. Suppose they join with our enemies and turn against us. Pharaoh decided to exert greater control over this people imposing harsh and bitter slavery upon the Israelites. Still God blessed his people in strength and number. Pharaoh grew more frightened and ordered every baby boy among the Israelites to be drowned in the Nile River. One Israelite couple hid their little boy for three months, but finally entrusting his future to God, they set him in a basket and placed him on the river. His sister, Miriam, watched as he floated downstream. Coming upon the basket, Pharaoh's daughter took pity on the child and chose to raise him as her own son. She called him Moses, meaning drawn from the water. So Moses grew, and he became very aware of the travail of his people. One day, in a rage, he lost his temper and he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. Fleeing the palace and the eye of the pharaoh, Moses became a shepherd in a faraway land called Midian. It was far from the cries and from the suffering of his brothers. But the Lord heard the affliction of the children of Israel. He heard their groaning, and he would raise up a deliverer who would lead them out of bondage. It was then that he appeared to Moses from the midst of a bush that burned, but yet wasn't consumed by the fire. Moses drew close, and he listened to God as God commissioned him to go to Pharaoh. 
Moses was fearful, he was reluctant, but yet he agreed to bring God's message to the king of Egypt. And that message was, let my people go. Moses left the wilderness to return to Pharaoh's palace, the very place where he'd been raised. He returned with the message which the Lord had given him, but God himself warned Moses of the resistance he would encounter. He said, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. And so I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. God sent plagues one by one. Yet with each plague, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The Egyptians became afflicted with discomfort and disease. But still, Pharaoh would not relent. With the tenth and most awful plague, God pierced through the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Let us fill our cup a second time. A full cup is a symbol of joy. And indeed, on this occasion, we are filled with joy at God's mighty deliverance. But let us also remember the great cost at which redemption uh, was, was purchased. Lives were sacrificed to bring about the release of God's people from slavery. But a far greater price purchased our redemption from the slavery of sin, the death of Jesus. As we recite each plague, we dip our our little finger into the cup, allowing a drop of liquid to fall, reducing the fullness of our cup of joy. So recite with us. Blood. Blood. Frogs. Lice. Beasts. Cattle disease. Boils, hail, locusts, darkness, death of the firstborn. Before the tenth, before the tenth and most awful plague, The death of the firstborn, both of man and livestock, throughout all of Egypt, God gave this command. On the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. 
Since the temple in Jerusalem no longer stands, lamb is not eaten at the Passover. This shank bone remains to remind us of the sacrificial lamb whose blood marked the houses of the children of Israel, signifying their obedience to God's command. We who trust Jesus believe that he is the Lamb of God, our Passover. God has put the blood of Jesus on the doorpost of our hearts and freed us from the bondage of sin, providing for us eternal life. At this point in the, in the Seder, the family would gather together to have a feast meal. So all the, all the, the yummy trimmings, um, no ham or, or anything like that, I'm sure. But, it would, but they, would have a, they would have a tremendous feast together. And so just as the family would share together in their, in their resources, we too are going to take this opportunity to share our resources. We offer this blessing. Blessed are you, O God, for you have... For you have in your mercy supplied all of our needs. You have given us Messiah, forgiveness for sin, life abundant and life everlasting. Accept our tithes and offerings that we bring to you this day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Passover Lamb. Amen. Now that supper is concluded, let us fill our cups for a third time. As the trays are passed, please take a cup and hold it and pass the tray along, and we'll share in the third cup together shortly. Then please pray quietly as we wait for everyone to be served. This is the cup of redemption, symbolizing the blood of the Passover lamb. The Apostle Paul spoke of this cup when he wrote, In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just as the blood of the Lamb brought salvation in Egypt, so Messiah's death can bring salvation to all who believe. This is what we celebrate each week at the Lord's Supper, remembering the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. Again, we offer this blessing. Blessed are you, O God, for you have in mercy supplied all our needs. You have given us Messiah, forgiveness for sin, life abundant and life everlasting. We remember today the sacrifice you made, giving your only son to redeem us and free us from the bondage of sin. Thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Passover lamb. Amen. Share with me the cup. Would you be standing, please? The final cup of Passover is aptly called the cup of praise. With it, we give thanks to God, who is our great redeemer. And so we're going to use scripture, and we're going to ask you to respond with the phrase, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who did not spare his own son. His love endures forever. But gave him as a ransom for us all. His love endures forever. And who graciously gives us all things. His love endures forever. Give thanks, people, to the God of heaven. His His love love endures endures forever. forever. As our Seder ceremony concludes, let us drink one final time to celebrate God's indescribable gift of salvation. Our Passover Seder is now complete, just as our redemption is forever complete. Let us conclude with the traditional Jewish wish that we may celebrate Passover together next year in Jerusalem. In the name of Jesus Christ, we say amen. Have a great week. Next year in Jerusalem.